I want to talk, uh, continue in that vein. We're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit uh, for the next few minutes here. As we approach Pentecost, uh, <clears throat> I want us to come today with just a sense of hunger. I'm going to share quite a few scriptures today. And uh, towards the end, we're going to have a, just a short time of prayer asking again for more of the presence and power of the person of the Spirit. So let me start this way. The Holy Spirit is a person. Amen. <laughs> He's fully God. Third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three-in-one God. He's always existed and is to be treated as a person. Although he's often described in terms like wind or breath, fire or oil, the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, he's not a force. It's not like, may the force be with you, Star Wars. Uh, that's not it. Uh, he's not an it, not some sort of divine energy. He is God, a very God, a person with a mind, will, and emotions. He has joy. He could be grieved, he could be quenched, he could be talked to, and he talks to us. John says that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to exalt the Lord Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to take the things that are his and make them known to us. He is called the Spirit of truth, and he will guide us into all truth. Amen? The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to us. So we can hear God speaking to us through the scriptures. Uh, he brings conviction of sin. He judges the world. The Holy Spirit comes, forms, and grows like fruit, the very character of Christ in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit also gifts us with supernatural ability gifting to enable us to do things that we can't do apart from him the holy spirit empowers us to be witnesses to share the gospel do you love the holy spirit oh i love the holy spirit <laughs> we know that god is love and that the holy spirit pours out and shares the love of god with us he is poured out upon us so that we can know and experience the presence of god in a real way in a tangible in a personal way. And we know too that the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us, but he dwells in us and among us as God's empowering presence. I believe from Paul's perspective, we need to stop just giving lip service to the Spirit. The Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. We need to recapture Paul's perspective. The Spirit as the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us, who enables us to live as a radically new people, a new people in the present world while we wait for the return of Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit's wonderful. Uh, he's marvelous. He is a friend of all friends. He comes alongside us to help us, to comfort us, and to counsel us. I want to read from John chapter 1, uh, 30 through 33, if you brought your Bible. 1, 30 through 33. Let's uh, read through this and talk a little bit about the baptism of the Spirit. 
says this, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man, this is John the Baptist, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Okay, baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just John the Baptist, it's also Jesus the Baptist. God the Son in our flesh who comes to take away the sin of the world, and that sin there's singular, of the world, is also the one who comes to baptize in and with the Holy Spirit. So these two works belong together. And when these two titles are kept together, I believe the gospel is really good news. Jesus to the rescue takes away sin and then baptizes humans, you and I, in and with the Spirit of God. I'm going to read a quick quote here from John Stott. He preaches this. He says, we must never conceive of salvation in merely negative terms, as if it consisted only in rescue from sin, guilt, wrath, and death. We thank God for all of these, and they're certainly true, but it also includes the positive blessing of the Holy Spirit to regenerate, indwell, liberate, transform. What a truncated gospel we preach if we proclaim the one without the other. And what a glorious gospel we have to share when we are true to Scripture. Amen. Love that quote. Uh, let's start with this. The term baptize simply means to immerse. The Greek text uses both in and with the Holy Spirit. And I think the in relates to that which we are immersed into. And the with speaks of that which saturates us or literally overwhelms us, engulfs us, you might say. Uh, therefore, Jesus the Baptist dunks us in and drenches us with the very life of the triune God. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's a good sentence. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let me uh, read a quote from Daryl Johnson. He writes this, uh, one of my favorite um, authors and preachers today. He says, the one common denominator for all is the experienced, uh, I'm sorry, the one common denominator for all is the experience, baptized in and with the spirit of newness, he says. I love that word, newness. There's a new quality of life, a new freshness, a new quality of divine nearness and intimacy a different kind of vitality, freshness, a newness. That's kind of the idea. Um, Dallas Willard uses the word engulfment to describe this experience. Okay, Jesus promises an engulfment in the spirit of God. He promises to clothe us, to dress us in power from on high. Therefore, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh redeems us from the power and grip of sin 
and then baptizes us, immerses us, uh, you might say soaks us, dresses us, saturates us, drenches us, marinates us, overwhelms us with the very life of the living God. Is this good news? Now, when the text says that Jesus baptizes, it is in the present tense. And I think this is important. In New Testament Greek, the tenses of verbs speaks of uh, a time of action and the kind of action. Okay, so the present tense speaks of continuous action. And you could kind of say it this way. It literally would mean this to keep on. So, for instance, give you some examples. Uh, Abide in me and I in you would be best rendered keep on abiding me and I in you. Jesus wrote, all who come to me and believe in me will never hunger and thirst. Uh, You'd really, literally would mean this, all who keep on coming to me and all who keep on believing in me never hunger or thirst, okay? Therefore, Jesus is the one who keeps on baptizing in and with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he comes to keep on soaking us, keep on drenching us, keep on immersing us, keep on filling us with the Holy Spirit until every fiber of our being radiates with the glory of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Is that what you want tonight? Oh God, do it again and again and again. So what does it mean to be baptized in and with the Holy Spirit? And and are there other ways to express what this means? So for, for one thing, it means history is reaching this climax point. It means that there's a great promise that's being fulfilled. The great promise is that God's going to pour out the Spirit of God upon all flesh. Right? Joel 2, 28, we hear the Lord say to his people, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So in Jesus, the great expectation of God himself pouring himself out on man, on humankind or mankind is beginning to be realized. Now, in the book of Acts, Jesus promises this, right? In a few days, you will be baptized in and with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's looking forward to Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 4 describes this baptism and says it this way, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Luke describes their baptism in the Spirit, he uses the metaphor of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was poured out upon them from on high, right? They were clothed, they were endued with the power of the Spirit. And then what's interesting in the text in Acts is we read later, it says a few days later, the Lord Jesus does this again. The text says in Acts 4, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the same ones that were filled and baptized again in in and with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, they were again dunked and drenched. They were given another soaking, you might say. Stephen was described as a man full of the Spirit in Acts 6, and then he's filled with the Spirit again in Acts 7. I think about the Apostle Paul, right? He's baptized and filled with the Spirit in Acts 9, and then he's filled with the Spirit again in Acts 13. (laughs) I love this. That's the pattern. I don't 
think it's a one-time baptism. That's my point. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, let's look at an epistle now. It says that it is God's will that we be filled with the Spirit. Not just once, twice, but over and over again. It says in, in verse 17 and 18, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I believe this perspective helps us keep the unity of the spirit amongst our different traditions, perspectives in the body of Christ. In fact, I think it helps us in this John 17 oneness that we've been, that we've been talking about. Often uh, our theology of the spirit, and we some of us have different ideas of, of what baptism of the spirit might mean. You might disagree with what I've been sharing with you, but I think this is important because it helps us come together in the place of oneness where we honor one another's traditions and here's here's what i mean by that the evangelical perspective i think is right in declaring that we are baptized in the holy spirit at the time of conversion when we surrender to jesus as savior and lord first corinthians 12 13 speaks to that i think pretty clearly it says we were all baptized in the one spirit and we were all given the one spirit to drink however this is not the last time that he's going to do it I think the sacramental tradition is, is accurate. That when we're baptized in water, Jesus baptizes us in it with the Holy Spirit. Certainly. Now you could say that at, at communion. But on the other hand, this is not the only time that he's going to baptize us in and with the Holy Spirit. I think the Pentecostal charismatic tradition is right in that there is a time subsequent to conversion when Jesus baptizes us in and with the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can read the book of Acts without seeing that. We see this is, is with the Samaritans in Acts 8, right? They had already believed. I mean, they'd, they'd had the Spirit as born-again believers in the gospel, and yet the Spirit hadn't fallen upon them yet. Yet this second blessing is not the last time Jesus will do it. <laughs> Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 6 baptisms in the plural. I think Jesus comes in this present continuous sense to baptize and fill, both used synonymously in the scriptures. Now, now, let me give you a little of just sort of the character and nature of God that points to this. I believe that it is the nature of Jesus. It's who he is. It's what he does to keep on giving his life to us. He fills us and keeps on filling us in stages, grace upon grace, as John puts it. We are transformed from glory to glory, as Paul teaches us. What both John the Baptist, uh, the apostles Luke and Paul all are describing is that it is the nature of Jesus, the Savior of the world, to baptize and keep on baptizing, to immerse and keep on immersing, soak and keep on soaking, to flood and keep on flooding, to fill and keep on filling to infuse and keep on infusing. This is the one who baptizes not once, not twice, not three times, but again and again and again. Jesus keeps on infusing his followers with divine life. And with and I believe we'll keep on doing so until all that we are radiates with the very glory of God. That is good news. <laughs> 
Not only is this the nature of Jesus to keep giving his life to us, but we need this because I think we as weak humans keep on also quenching and grieving the spirit again and again. We, we do and we say things that wound and offend the Holy One, right? We harbor anger. We at times nurture bitterness. We gossip about slander others. We are in need again and again of this cleansing bath. We're in need of a showering of new grace of the spirit of the living God. I think there's another reason for the keep on. At the beginning of the journey with Jesus Christ, none of us are ready to handle the fullness of his fullness. I think we'd all agree on that. Of all that he is and all that he wants to be to us. We are, right, after all, talking about being invaded, uh, permeated by God himself, by the third person of the Trinity. Who can handle being fully saturated by and with God? So again, I think he comes in stages, right? Grace upon grace, transforming us from glory to glory. Not only are we not ready, but many of us, I don't think, are willing to be fully obsessed. <laughs> not willing. Why? I think at times because of fear. We are afraid that if we are really open to Jesus' baptism, this full immersion, it might look make us look weird, strange, right? I know that fear. And we're afraid that if we were really open to this, we might get swept up into something that's beyond our control. What do you think? <laughs> Am I right? Beyond our control. I mean, guys, the fact is that this is beyond our control, for he is beyond our control. We're talking about the living God. It's not just an idea. The creator of all things coming to occupy and possess. Who can control him? Right? I mean, at times from our fear, we settle for this manageable form of religion that's devoid of power. We hold this, you know, the full reality kind of at arm's length. We try to domesticate the one who's an all-consuming fire and settle for the predictable out of fear, even if it's no longer satisfying. I think we all do it. But the point is that we need not fear the dunking and drenching, right? <laughs> being marinated. I mean, I mean, think about marination, right? What do you, I love steak. It's like my favorite meal. I get it twice a year, birthday, Father's Day. <laughs> what do you do with a good steak? I mean, I love to grill. And the first thing you got to do is you got to like put the steak in the peppercorn garlic sauce, Right? Get it all saturated in and out. Stick it in the in the fridge and get it nice and cooled off. Right? And then you put it on the grill. And that smell, that fragrance. I mean, there's just nothing like it. <laughs> Guys, we need to get marinated. Oh, with the presence of God. Our minds, our wills, our emotions, our relationships, our desires. God. Hallelujah. So this Jesus comes as a lamb to the rescue, John 1, to take away the sin of the world. And then he comes to baptize again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. And whenever he does, 
William Barclay says this. Uh, he says, there enters into our helplessness and fatigue a surge of new life. And we are freshly empowered to do the undoable, face the unfaceable, and bear the unbearable. Hallelujah. So in our remaining time here, how do we get baptized and filled with the Spirit? I think our first step is hunger. I really do. We, we need to get desperate before God and ask again for his fullness. To seek him with our whole heart. There's times when we can get calloused and familiar. We think we have all that we need, right? We're content with what God's done for us. And we no longer need to come to God desperately needy, poor in spirit. However, I think the reality is, is that we need the life of God ever increasing, ever flowing like a river from the heart of God into our hearts, into our innermost being and out flowing out like a river to others, right? We need to come more and more under the sway and the influence of the Holy Spirit. We need to be invaded and permeated again, saturated and flooded with the life of the Spirit in every aspect of our lives. I think we'd all agree on that. And so I think it first starts with hunger, and out of that hunger we're asking, simple asking. Luke 11, uh, Jesus writes, Luke 11, says, I tell you, ask, Jesus says, ask the Father, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. And again, that's that continuous present again, ask and keep on asking. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What it, father among you, if his son asks for a fish? Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? Uh, our Father right, is a good Father. He gives good gifts to his children. In our life of prayer, we come to him in dependence, recognizing we can't do anything apart from Jesus. Right? Therefore, we need help. Jesus is telling us to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking for the great helper, the paraclete, the third person of the Trinity, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit to engulf us. <laughs> Are you asking him today in this Pentecost season? Ask him to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit, the very character of Christ, his love and joy and peace and patience. Ask him to fill you with the gifts of the Spirit, right? The very ministry of Christ. That'll be those gifts be stirred up in you again. Jesus promised that he would empower us with his spirit. That the promised gift of the Father to be a witness so that we would share our testimony, our witness with those that don't know Jesus. Uh, ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? As Paul prayed in Ephesians, the Ephesian church, ask for more the spirit of wisdom, revelation, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, right? That you might know Jesus better. Ask for the spirit of counsel, that you'd be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, like Paul prayed at the church of Colossae. Uh, ask him to baptize you in his love, that the very love of God would be shed abroad in your heart, by the Holy Spirit, that you would know the height and width and depth and breadth of the love of Jesus. Fantastic. 
So that's first. I think it starts first with hunger. Um, second, I think we get filled with the Spirit when we abide in His Word, the Bible, and we believe it. God's Word is God-breathed. It's inspired. It's filled with the very person and presence of the Holy Spirit, right? God's Word feeds us. It cleanses us, sanctifies us, sets us free, empowers us to obey, equips us for ministry. I could go on and on and on about what the Bible says about the Bible. We need to read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on God's word, believe the truth of God's word. We need to get into the text until the text gets into us. Hallelujah. Let's get into the book of God's face rather than spending all our time in Facebook. <laughs> uh, yes. How about maybe a little less texting and get into the text of God's word. Oh, if you want to get filled, then pray the Bible, sing the Bible. It really works, I promise you. Third, I think we get filled with the Spirit when we obey God and His Word. Right? This is so clear. And all over Scripture, Acts 5 is one of those. Right? We are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. I love it, those who obey Him. Um, I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18. And I want to look at this verse again and give us a couple things, four things that help us obey the word of God that are directly linked to the spirit. And I'll close with this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, right? Uh, when we think about wine, right, that can ruin one's judgment, leads to debauchery, in contrast, being filled with the Spirit leads to self-control and a life exhibiting the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, in the Greek text, this present imperative command to be filled with the Spirit is linked to four participles or four clauses, four things. So be, you can say it this way, be filled with the Spirit by doing these four things. Make sense? Doing these four things. Okay, the first one, Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Speaking, singing, and praying God's word over one another in the body of Christ is a way that you get filled with the Spirit. Second thing, it's like the first one, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, right? Paul's connecting the church to, commanding the church to sing and make melody. And it's not just, you know, words it's not just rote you know we're just kind of lip service i think this is a reason why we need to add praise to our times of prayer right we need to include personal devotion times with praise and with singing because when we do this it's a way that by doing this we get filled with the spirit amen uh, one of the marks of pentecost was that as they were speaking other languages, it says they were declaring the wonders of God. They were praising him. They're praising him with their tongues. And we love the promise that he inhabits our praise with his presence, with his presence. Number three, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say give thanks in some things 
or in a few things, but in all things, give thanks. We trust the leadership of Jesus. He can take things in our lives and turn them for good. He does all things for our welfare, according to the counsel of his will. We enter his gates into his presence. What, how? With thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And the fourth, this is like a hard one for people, is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of the fear of the Lord, we come and we honor one another above ourselves, right? In our homes, our marriages, in our, and with our children, in our, in our workplaces, uh, in our churches, we honor those that God has placed over us in positions of authority. Biblical submission, I believe, is a posture of humility, and brings God's grace into our lives. As we obey these four things, we will be ever increasing with the spirit of the living God. Amen and amen. Let me give one final verse and then I'll pray. Jesus answers Judas, not Iscariot. Judas asks him the question in John 14, how, how Jesus, are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world. And then Jesus answers. I love this. He says this. Okay. This is my heart. Jesus answers. And he says this to, to them, to Judas. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Father, that's our desire that we would be a home for you a resting place for you as we keep your word. Fill us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Fill us to overflowing, oh God. I ask everyone, God, on this global family prayer room, everyone listening in during these 10 days, Lord, we ask right now for a fresh baptism of love, baptism of the Holy Spirit, in filling and fresh outpouring. Lord, you've given us the one spirit to drink. God, make us, Lord, family in love with you, God, as you make your home in us and among us. We love you and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. God's people said in agreement.